Good morning, church. Good morning. And uh, you've, you know the Bible is, uh, is an amazing book. Uh, it never fails to amaze us. Uh, strange and uh, wonderful things. So I want to look at Psalm, chapter Psalm 147, the 147th Psalm, verse 3. Uh, you've got your Bible with you. Psalm 147 verse 3. Uh, this verse looks like a, a pedestrian, a common, uh, you know, but uh, it's really, really an amazing verse. And it says that the Lord, or Yahweh, when you have the word the Lord in your Bible, is the name of God. It's Yahweh, actually, or Jehovah. Yahweh heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And let me tell you why this is amazing. The first thing is that uh, it tells us that our hearts are easily wounded or broken. And we know that. We know that uh, by experience, uh, our emotions are easily damaged. We are easily wounded and offended. I don't know whether you've been offended already this morning when you woke up. Uh, when you were driving or somebody irritated you. You know, our inner psychology is very fragile. Just by coming or meeting people uh, can irritate us or hurt us or frustrate us. The moment we wake up, you know, we are conscious of other people, we open ourselves to being wounded. So that is, uh, that is something that we know. And the Bible acknowledges that. It says that our hearts are easily broken. The second truth is not that well known. In fact, it was only discovered about 100 years ago by modern psychologists and psychotherapists. And that is that we cannot deal with our damaged emotions by denying them, by suppressing them, or by leaving them unattended. You know, time does not heal broken hearts. In fact, uh, most of us, uh, if you're my age, you probably grew up in an environment where you suppress your emotions or when you were, uh, you know, when you're emotionally hurt, you were, tell, you were told to, you know, uh, not to cry or, or to whatever, you know. Denying, suppressing, or, or leaving our wounds unhealed risk permanently damaging our heart. The broken heart, the Bible says, becomes a dead or hardened heart, you know. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The heart can be hardened. And we become heartless, uh, quote-unquote, and heartless towards ourselves. First of all, we reject ourselves, uh, we isolate ourselves, or heartless towards other people by hurting them. And we enjoy hurting people in order to take revenge on them for our own hurts. So hurt people hurt themselves. Hurt people hurt others. And here the Bible tells us the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this third truth that the Lord heals is, uh, is, is virtually unknown and the most marvelous of them all. 
You know, emotions need to be healed. Emotions need to be, you know, our, our damaged emotions, our angry reactions need to be forgiven. We need to forgive people who hurt us. We need to receive forgiveness. We need to ask God to forgive us. And we need to forgive ourselves. And it is the Lord who does all these things. The Lord heals us and binds up our wounds. The Lord is the healer of hearts. The Lord is our counsellor, wonderful counsellor from uh, Isaiah, the throne name of Jesus Christ. Wonderful here could also mean uh, wonder-working. He has a miraculous power to counsel us. He's our psychologist. How many of you heard anybody telling you that Jesus is a psychologist? He's a psychologist. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me... To lie down in green pastures, that's what he does first. He, he, he brings you to a safe zone. And you see the, the, you know, the favorite term of Peter, for Jesus is the chief shepherd. And uh, uh, John 21 talks about the healing of Peter, the most amazing, amazing account of the great psychologist Jesus healing his disciples. You know, first he fed them, he, he told them how to restore their wounded pride, their reputation. They, you know, they were fantastic fishermen who caught nothing. How low can you go? And they went to Galilee because they, they thought that they had followed a failed Messiah. And they have failed the Messiah. This was, they were at rock bottom. And imagine going back to your hometown after three and a half years telling everybody that you have found the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah is dead. And then you thought, maybe I'll go back to doing something that I knew what to do best in my life. Go back to being the expert fisherman that you were. And you caught nothing the whole night. And Jesus, you know, Jesus is also an economist. You have problem with your job. Jesus told the, the fisherman who knew Galilee, that part of Galilee at least, where to fish. Isn't that wonderful? Huh? Jesus is economist. Most of the miracles of Jesus were economic miracles. He told them, and then he cooked breakfast for them. Breakfast. Can you imagine the resurrected Jesus saying to his disciples, come and have breakfast. You know, if your disciples fail you, you'll scold them first, right? No, he fed them first. He makes them lie down in green pastures. And then he took Jesus aside. And he took Peter aside. And he said, do you love me? And, you know, he used the word agape, which talks about more altruistic love. And, and Peter said, phileo, Lord, I phileo you. And Jesus said, do you agape me? And, G and Peter said, I phileo you, I love you as a human being, as a brother, as a friend. And Peter was grieved when Jesus said the third time. But Jesus used the word phileo. You know, today is Advent. The incarnation is the greatest miracle of them all. You know, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, a man wanted to be God. And today, everywhere you go, people tell you, you know, how to be God, how to be in control, how to be autonomous. But brothers and sisters in Christ, God wanted to be man. And he became one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I think the Lord deserves a, a, an applause, man. You know what that means for you or not? To be a human being is a good thing. Right? It's a wonderful thing. 
The greatest miracle of them all is God becoming man. And Mary said, how can this be? And here it is. The angel Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God. And so today, human rationalists eat your heart out. (laughs) Right? God does that to humble us that our mind can never fathom his, his wonder, His power. God became man to become one of us. And that's why today in this story that I'm going to tell you, the Son of God became a human being, a Jewish man, in order to talk to a God-forsaken, or what she thought God-forsaken, or human-forsaken, or self-forsaken woman. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so I want to talk to you about Jesus, the wonderful counsellor. God became man so that the book of Hebrews tells us that he can understand our emotions. You know, to be a human being, like the way that God has created us, to have emotions is, is wonderful. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit produces in us is a psychology of emotions, you know. Look at all the, the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. They are all emotions. And God calls himself the God of love. Right? It's not platonic love. It's not the love of the intellect. God loves emotions. He makes us like Him. So to be emotional is a wonderful thing. But the problem of sin, so our emotions are easily hurt. And here is the promise of God. I will make you whole again. Wonderful counselor. So if you look at the, uh, uh, with me in John chapter 4, uh, the Samaritan woman an amazing story, an amazing story, uh, amazing truth. And, uh, you know, but I want to let you know that uh, in the Gospel of Mark, which I preached, chapter 5, Jesus was portrayed as a divine warrior. He has come as Yahweh to defeat the sea monsters, uh, the demons. So he was an exorcist from the first chapter onwards. You know, he went to the synagogue and he cast out demons and he taught his disciples to do that. The most dramatic uh, incident in Mark chapter 5. And then when he was up, after he came down, Mark chapter 9, from the Mount of Transfiguration, again he was uh, delivering uh, evil spirits. And the, and the Great Commission of Mark talks about uh, deliverance of spirit. But then you come to John, here is a talking Jesus. The talking Jesus. The counseling Jesus. He's always talking. In fact, uh, the, you, know, you know, no deliverance in the, no exorcism in the gospel of John. He's always sitting down with individuals, talking to them. And, uh, and uh, you know, three or four chapters were devoted to his, uh, to his uh, speech before he was crucified. You know, the, the, the so-called upper room discourse. Jesus is a talking God. A counseling God. A friendship God who sits down with people. Individuals. So, chapter 1, Nathaniel. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, who came to it by night. And then here, chapter 4. So, let's look at chapter 4. And I want to look at it uh, with you closely so that you enjoy the story and then you remember the truth and then you appropriate that healing power for yourselves and for others. And today, I want to root for the psychologists in our midst you know, psychologists, psychotherapists, those are in the healing, counseling, uh, ministry, 
It's a wonderful calling, you know. The emotions are the, we are, so little we understand about emotions. You know, emotions are where we live. You know, uh, Singaporeans like to travel, you know, but I tell you the inner landscape is the most ignored uh, geography that we have. You know, be an inner tourist. Look at your own inner heart. Tour your inner heart. Find out all the valleys and, the, you know, gorges and all that, you know. The inner landscape, the last frontier, right? But there's so much discovery today in the field of psychology, and I'm so glad that Christians are entering into that. You know, psychology is not of the devil. The devil produces nothing. But if the Christians don't go into psychology, the devil will go there. Amen? We've got to recover and look at Jesus, the psychologist. Today, he's our master. All right. For the woman, we have probably heard the story many times, you know. Uh, the Samaritan woman collecting water in, uh, in that kind of culture was a was a social activity, you catch up with your gossips, you do bonding and so on. Uh, it was such a chore, so you go out early in the morning and then to make the chore tolerable and enjoyable, you talk and you gossip and you have fun. And to be alone in the hottest part of the day, you know, walking is a sign of being judged and being rejected, a sign of self-judgment, you know, hurt people don't want to be hurt further, so they isolate themselves. This is what the woman was doing. And so can you imagine that when, uh, in verse 9, when this woman uh, 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 reached, uh, reached, uh, reached uh, verse 7, uh, you know, she, uh, uh, the well, uh, here was a Jewish man. Here was a Jewish man. It's a provocation for a Jew to to come to Samaria, you know. They have been quarreling for 700 years. The story of Samaria is, usually, is actually quite simple. You can find it in Kings. Uh, you know, they were the, the, the Samaritans, uh, the, the, the northern Israelites were, were, were exiled, you know, destroyed because of disobedience by God. And so the king of Assyria repopulated Samaria with Babylonians and other ethnic groups. They, but they claimed to be the lost tribes of Israel. And so for 700 years, they have been quarreling with the Jews, with the, with the, with the Judeans, as to who is the true Israelite. And, and, uh, and the, to be a Samaritan is so bad that the, the Jewish leaders cursed Jesus by calling him a Samaritan. You are a Samaritan, they, they cursed him. And you are demon-possessed. That's how bad the quarrel was. And here's a man, a Jewish man, who, who made intentionally go into Samaria and sat at the well, a confrontation. And what did he do? He asked for a drink. Goodness, to go into Samaria is making you unclean, you know, and you're going to take from the cup of that unclean lady. What a provocation. And of course, the lady felt provoked because, well, she was isolating herself. She, you know, she doesn't want to meet anybody. So this story is not about a, a, a woman who wanted to, do, to ask theological questions. She was not asking theological questions. She saw a Jew, and the easiest way to quarrel with your enemy is to, to bring out the long history of the quarrel, right? Uh, like, uh, is the chicken rice in Malaysia better or Singapore, right? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> or who, who invented Nasi Lemak, you know? These are cultural wars, right? And so it's not a story, you know, the story about a man wanting to know theological truth is actually John chapter 3, right? Nicodemus, 
he was uh, an evolutionist or, or naturalist, so he couldn't believe that people can be born again. Can you believe that? A Jewish leader who doesn't know Genesis 2-7, right? Okay, that's a sermon for another day. But, uh, and so it was provocative. Give me a drink. You know, in every culture, you just give this thirsty man a drink and that's the end of the story. How is it that you are a Jew? She said, verse 9, ask for a drink from me. A woman of Samaria. She identified herself just in case Jesus didn't know. And then you have the verse that, for Jews have nothing to do with Jerusalem, with the Samaritans actually. As I told you, this is just an understatement, right? And then Jesus said, verse, uh, verse 10, you know, if you knew the gift of God, wow, what's happening here? And who is he saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have been given to you, and he would give you living water. You know, when God asks us for something, brothers and sisters, he wants to give us actually. So God asked Abraham, Go and sacrifice your son, right? And what did God do? God sacrificed his son for Abraham and for all of us. When God asks you for something, he's looking for an excuse to give you the real thing. So for many of you who are struggling today, whatever God is asking you, 30 years ago, I knew that God was asking me full-time, so I pretended not to hear him. One morning, I sensed that he was in the room, and I heard him say these words to me. This is the last time I'm asking you. Oh, say, where did that come from? You know? And then I got up, typed my resignation letter, gave it to my boss, and then came back in the evening and told my wife. <laughs> and I tell you, I thought in those days I knew what I was doing. But if I look at the trajectory in the last 30 years, I would have lost my life. And here is what Jesus says, you know, if you give your life to me or to, to the work of the gospel, you will find it. You will find it. So when God asks you to give something, he's going to give you. So he asked the woman for water and he's going to give her living water. Living water. Of course, the woman went into, into the argument mode again. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You see, she, she had Jesus cornered. Jesus sitting at the well of Jacob. So I'm the Samaritan, I'm the true Israelite, not you, right? That's the, that's the argument. You know, then how can you claim to give me living water when you're dying of thirst yourself? Here I've got the well. I've got the well. And then Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, and then she, she was, uh, and Jesus said, uh, you know, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But I will, I will give you eternal water, eternal life. Of course. Then she became very sarcastic again, right? Because she couldn't understand what he was saying. So she said, give me this water. Then I don't have to come back here. I don't have to walk my daily walk of shame, right? Give me this water. But Jesus, you know, being a, a psychologist, ignored all her defense mechanisms and sarcasm and things like that. Those of you who do counseling, you know when you talk to angry people, this is the kind of conversation they'll have with you. Or even with your angry son or daughter or your angry father, right? But Jesus was... Jesus, uh, in verse 16, verse 16, you know, you know, Jesus knew that she was 
dying of thirst, a different kind of thirst. So in verse 16 said, suddenly, suddenly Jesus said, go and call your husband. You know that Jesus is not debating with her because it doesn't make sense, right, when you're having an intellectual argument and you say, go and call your husband, right? See, Jesus was, uh, was aiming at something else. Jesus was identifying her inner thirst. Jesus was identifying her broken heart, why she was doing what she was doing. And Jesus said, go and call your husband. I don't know where. Jesus said, go and call your husband. Then, of course, this woman is not going to concede defeat. She's not going to concede defeat, right? Not so easily, right? So she denied it. She, she told a technical truth. <laughs> technical truth. So technically, she was right. And Jesus was quite, uh, Jesus was humoring her at this point. Jesus, uh, you know, the psychologist. Jesus said, sure, you don't have a husband. Right, you're right, you're right. You know, I'm not going to argue with you on that. Because the man that you're living with is not your husband. And you already had five husbands. So can you imagine how thirsty this woman was in that kind of culture to already have five husbands and then now living in, in, in sin? Probably she was abused, you know. This, this is not a kind of ideal relationship. It was a very hurting relationship. She was in, in that kind of environment. Right, we don't know what it is. Uh, you know, the Bible didn't tell us uh, because uh, I will tell you the reason later why, why, why we're not told all her sins. Right? And then suddenly she, she acknowledged the fact that Jesus was a prophet. Right? Jesus had words of knowledge. Jesus was telling her something that, uh, you know, that... Uh, and then... She did not concede again, right? Okay, so you're a prophet, right? So tell us, is it Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? Who got the right worship? Samaritans or Jews? Now, I'll let you know that today there are 800 Samaritans, right, in, in that part of the world. And they still practice Passover. And you can watch it on YouTube and all that. Samaritans are still doing that on Mount Gerizim, right? And Jesus went to, Jesus, uh, Jesus answered her, uh, you know, replying her from the truth of the Bible, 2 Kings 17, verse 6 and 24, that the Samaritans were not Jews or Israelites, right? But Jesus did something amazing, right? Jesus did something amazing. Jesus, did, Jesus just told her that salvation came from the Jews, the Messiah is Jewish, but now it's not this mountain or that mountain. It's not this mountain or that mountain. And then Jesus said, God looks for true worshippers. And this is what a true worshipper looks like. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. You know, in John chapter 1, when, when Jesus saw Nathaniel, behold, a true Jacob, a true Israelite, a true Israel in whom there is no God, whose spirit is right, who has truth in the inward parts. All this came from... Uh, that great King David, 51, you know, when, when David repented of his own sexual immorality, he wrote Psalm 51. You delight truth in the inward parts. God is looking for truth in our spirit. Right? And then verse 10, David, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And then something dawned upon this woman. 
that her heart was not right. She did not have truth in her inward parts. There's no point worshipping in whatever mountains. If your, if your heart is not right with God, she was not right with God. You know, she's claiming to be a Samaritan, someone who really knows true, what true worship is, but her heart testifies against her. She was not living in right relationship with God or with men or with the fellow Samaritans. So something must have dawned upon her. And I believe uh, this is where truth light starts to shine in her heart. And then she acknowledges him as the Messiah. For the Messiah will tell us all things. And here, here it is. Here is this. The Son of God from heaven came down to this earth, you know, to this forsaken woman in the hot sun in the middle of nowhere, literally. You know, when Jesus was born, we sang glory to God in the highest. I want you to know that only a, a small bunch of people up in the hills in that morning, you know, shivering and all that, heard that worship. It says that all the angels in heaven worship God when the angels announce to the shepherd. And who witnessed that worship of the greatest event in human history? Shepherds. You know, everybody was sleeping in town, having a great time, great dreams. They were working. And God revealed it to them. And here was this woman. So I want to give you hope. There's no body in this world without hope that God doesn't know where you are. You know, I was thinking, sometimes I, I think, Jesus, you are, not, you are not time efficient, you know. You're not a good manager of time. You've got only three years to accomplish everything on earth and to die upon the cross. Why do you spend so much time with this lady? Right? Have you ever thought about... That's why I said we cannot manage a revival, you know, and plan it. Because God's, God's time is not like ours, right? Right? He spent so much time with this lady. But here it is. And then, at this point, the story is interrupted. The story is interrupted. The story is interrupted because, you know, Jesus said, I am He, I am Yahweh, I am the great name of God. Revealed to her. Wow. You know, in heaven, I want to meet this lady, you know. <laughs> right? A woman with no hope. One of the seven individuals to whom Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah in the Gospel of John. It was a Samaritan. And then the story is interrupted. The story is interrupted. <clears throat> the disciples came back and so on, so on, so on. And then the lady ran back to town, right? Went back to town. And this is a testimony. I want you to note here in verse, in verse, uh, verse 25, she said to Jesus, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things, right? But look at her testimony. She runs back, no longer ashamed. Right, runs back and starts to yell to the people in town in verse 29. And this is what she said. If we don't look at the words carefully, we miss the whole point of, the, of this story. And look at verse 29. 
come and see a man who told me everything, everything that I ever did. So I checked the Greek Bible. The Greek Bible uses two words. It uses the word panta, means all, everything. It uses the word hosa, which means each and every one. He, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did and every one of them, one by one. Okay, you may say that this could be a scribal error, no? Right? Uh, maybe somebody made a mistake. But look at verse, look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. The Samaritan said, Now we believe you. First, we believe you because of, we heard your testimony. Now we believe him because of your testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the key to healing of emotions. Here's the key to healing wounded hearts. Here's the key, that is to tell Jesus every event that hurt you. Every event. To run your life through with Jesus. You know, psychologists tell us that today we can be wounded even in utero, in our mother's womb. You know, we can feel rejected. You know, uh, we are conscious, we are spiritually conscious even in our mother's womb at the time, from the time of conception onwards. You know, John the Baptist, when we met Jesus, you know, the, the two mothers, you know, he was conscious. Right? Here's the key to healing. You know, Jesus is far superior to secular psychologists because he had the power to heal. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters who are in psychology, we, we thank God for the discovery of all this psychological truth, you know. But we need to put those truths under the judgment of the Word of God. And then, most of all, God has given you the authority and the power to bring healing to broken hearts. What psychologists, secular psychologists can't do. Right? Just... You know, as psychologists, we learn all these things that Jesus was doing here, right? Jesus was practicing con uh, client confidentiality, right? You know, sending his disciples away, uh, client confidentiality, right? It, actually, Jesus always taught his disciples what to do, but here he sent all these male chauvinistic people away so that he could deal with this woman alone, right? And then that's the reason why what was happened to her was not recorded, right? Because the Samaritans knew all about it. The disciples knew nothing about it, right? And Jesus practiced client confidentiality. So it's important that we know all these things. But Jesus has something else. Jesus had the divine power to heal. So I want to tell you three stories. Uh, you know, you know, modern psychologists tell us that we need to go back to hurtful events in order to heal the emotions that are embedded in these events. Emotions are also, re also recorded. And in fact, our, our brain records all these traumas so quickly that, uh, that we can't process them actually. Yeah. That's why talking things through allows us to, 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 to these unconscious things come forward 
Uh, and, and, and so it's called, sometimes called the healing of memories. And modern psychologists tell us that, that unless the memories are recalled and the events corrected through forgiveness, reconciliation, and so on, the wounds will remain. The wounds. But Jesus, Jesus did this 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. So let me tell you a few stories to let you know that Jesus is alive and he heals broken hearts. Uh, some years back, before I came to Singapore again, I was invited by a friend that I, I met in America. Uh, he was a former retired Anglican clergy. And so he, he's a revivalist. So I met him and he said, uh, Joel, why don't you come and help me? You know, he's a revivalist, so he doesn't do uh, this prayer ministry. So he asked me to come and help him. And, uh, and I agreed. And then I landed up in, uh, in Hong Kong. I, I must tell you this I was quite amazed. I was in my jeans and T-shirt, and I saw the sleekest black Mercedes I've ever seen in my life waiting for me, you know. <laughs> I, I could get used to it, actually. Uh, and here was this guy, you know, he was opening his Mercedes door, and he was putting him inside. This such a luxurious thing. So he drove me to the church. And then I sat down behind the church because the, the conference was going on. And as I was sitting down, I, I looked in front to the crowd, and I saw a woman. She was so depressed that a very sanctified thought came to my mind. And the thought is this, Joel, what are you doing here? <laughs> I want her to get out of that place, though, because she was so depressed. I've never seen someone more depressed than that. Wow. And, and I, was, uh, I was telling myself, should I get out of this place since nobody has introduced me yet? <laughs> Wow, I was thinking that I was in the wrong place. But you know, at the end of the conference, this woman came out and this was a testimony. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, you can be imprisoned for 50 years in your life by your emotional hurts. So this is what she said. You know, when she was nine, she was now about 60, when she was nine, her mother sent her to an errand, to the grocery shop to buy some stuff. And instead of going, she sent her sister, her younger sister, and tragically, the sister was killed in an accident. And that became the unspeakable pain that she carried for 50 years. But the most amazing thing of all was, she became a church worker, like many people, you know, they thought that if I come and serve God, I could assuage my pain, you know. It's like kind of penance, you know. I want to tell you that that's not how the way to serve God. Your pain will, 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 will damage you and will damage other people, right? Serving God is not a penance, you know. Serving God is a privilege. When we give our life to Him, we find our life. It's not a penance. So she came penitentially to serve 50 years until she heard the good news that God can heal her. You know, when she looked up from that testimony, I saw a different face. And I can't believe it. 50 years. The Lord heals the broken heart. 50 years too late is it's, it's still better than not healed at all, right? The Lord heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. 50 years. Wow, I couldn't forget that. When I was there, there was this uh, 
lady in the 40s who came to see me. She was, uh, and actually she saw me outside. She took me outside the church. Go to, you know, when people are in pain, that's what they do. Right? They don't want to be seen. And everything around her is so dark. And, and even as I recall this, I can remember her, and she was whispering, actually. And, uh, you know, she was a wife of a, of a very famous professor who was involved in the discovery of the, of the breakthrough in SARS. So imagine that, you know, come from that kind of background. And she was whispering to me, and uh, she was saying, can you please help me? And uh, because when she was uh, in her youth or whatever, she was uh, actually wounded by, uh, you know, a, a pastor or, or a priest or whatever, a very deep wound. And that affected her for 20 years, the pain for 20 years. And then she said, I, I normally don't minister to women alone. So I said, can I bring someone? She said, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. So I said, I, I, need, I need somebody to be around. I can't pray for you alone, especially if you ask me to pray for you in the, in the separate place from the church, right? And so she asked her husband, in fact, they have been going through this, and they've been seeing a lot of psychiatrists. They've seen many psychiatrists over the years. And then I said to her exactly what I've just read. I said, why don't you, you tell Jesus? You know, I said, talk to Jesus. Tell Jesus your pains. Talk to him. And within 20 minutes, and the husband was, saw what happened to her when she talked to Jesus. And what Jesus did, the husband was amazed. And he said this to me, we have seen so many psychiatrists, and Dr. Jesus heals my wife. Amen? Now I want to end with a quite a funny story. Again in this church, there's this church worker again. <laughs> Just can't imagine. Every morning, she comes into the church, sits in the kitchen alone, opens up a bundle, and inside is a, is a hamburger with fries. Every morning. It was a ritual. And everybody will laugh at her and talk to her. Yeah, ritual. Eating the hamburger, having fellowship with the hamburger, right? Uh, to the disadvantage of the latter, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, avoided everybody. And while we were praying for people, she avoided, and I noticed that, how come she just avoiding everybody? You know, staying like a doormat, you know, again, uh, like a, serving God as a penance, you know. The more people treat me as doormat, the more spiritual I become. I can tell you that that's not going to happen, right? But somehow or another, almost towards the end, she plucked up the courage and talked to me. Of course, I'm a monolingual, right? I only speak English. When I try to speak Cantonese, they all laugh, right? So I, I knew that whenever I preach there, I just speak Cantonese and they'll laugh. I don't have to tell a joke. And, uh, and then somebody came and interpreted, and, and she, she shuffled next to me, actually. I was uh, standing at the door, at the wall, and I saw her shuffling next. I said, hey, oh, this is the lady. I said, so I said, what do you want? She said, oh, yeah. then I said, okay, why don't you talk to Jesus about it? <laughs> You know, I, I learned from the good Samaritan. I mean, I learned from the Samaritan woman, right? Talk to Jesus about it. And amazingly, the Lord healed her and all that. And then, uh, of course, she has this uh, eating habit, right? And because she, she, was, uh, she was overweight and things like unkempt. So I, I, almost as a joke, I told her, I said, do you want to get rid of that whatever that's bugging you, causing you to eat? And she said, yes. Yeah. So I said, in the name of Jesus, whatever that... 
the spirit that is, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was following up the inner healing with deliverance. I said, you come out in Jesus' name. And then she laughed. She burped and she laughed. She burped and then she laughed. The first time I heard her laugh. And then I said, why do you laugh? She said, I saw the demon coming out like a hamburger. <laughs> So I end here. I want to, today, this morning, really to encourage and to give, uh, to tell uh, those of you who are in the healing, psychology, psychotherapy, in, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, mental health issues and things like that, you know. Uh, we are discovering more and more about all the things that hurt us. And you are in a really a great profession. But you know, if you give that gift to Jesus and he, allow Him to empower you and allow Him to teach you his ways, you will see amazing things. So I want, to, I want to affirm that. And I thank God for the many ministries in this church that are dealing with this, you know, the counselling, the, and, and the whole spectrum of it. You know. There's so many ministries, healing room and so on, uh, IHG. And by the way, uh, it was not advertised, uh, this Friday I will be speaking at Tangling Fellowship on healing the family tree. So if you're interested, you can come, 7.30, room 207. So I want to... Uh, to, to, you can volunteer for all this, especially yeah, if you are trained in this, and maybe teach us, teach the church some of these things that are from the Bible. I want to affirm you. And, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, for all of us who are hurting, you know, uh, uh, you know we, we, we practice what Jesus did, right? Uh, a confidential counseling. So you can sign up. You can sign up. Uh, you know, they're on the, every week, so many types of ministries. Uh, you know, don't leave your wounds unattended, right? The story of Jesus, we meet the, 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 the spoken word. The, the written word talks about the Samaritan, and, I have, and now you're meeting the spoken word, right? Because I, I've told you the story. It's time to meet the living word, right? The living word. Amen. The reason why I'm here this morning is because it's true. It's true. Or else I won't be here, right? I won't be here. That's, uh, that's why I told you I found my life because I discovered the Bible is true. Not only intellectually true, right? I found it to be true. And I found that the amazing things that God can do through us. The last person to, be, to, to, to do this psychology ministry is me because for many years I studied philosophy and I told everybody psychology is for the birds, right? There's no time for emotions, right? And that's how I found my life. Okay? <laughs> I found my life. All right. Praise the Lord. And then... Uh, and, uh, right. and then to believers, emotions are where we live. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows rivers of life. Right. Love the Lord with all your heart. Right. All your heart. So we need to major in psychology. Go and discover your inner landscape. Discover your inner scape. Find out what your emotions are like and what they're doing to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. So thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for this wonderful counsellor that you've given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for recording this wonderful, wonderful story for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Reverend Joel. Church, I think at this juncture, there's...
there's a call for response for us this morning. And I think that's a common thread throughout the entire service. I was sitting at my seat, and just thinking about the word that was released this morning. Hope deferred makes our heart sick. And Reverend Joe talked about the brokenhearted. I don't know how many of you here, you are going through, you are going through a, a season of pain and just brokenness. But maybe not many of you here, but, but if there are, if, if, even if there's just one, and I really feel in my, in my heart, you know, the Holy Spirit is surfacing those hurts this morning so that He can shine His light, so that He can place His healing hand upon them. And even as the worship team leads us in this response song, if He is speaking to you, please come to the front. Let us stand with you and pray with you. Right, shall we stand? Come. Let's spend some time to worship the Lord. And if God is speaking to you, come to the, come to the front and respond for prayer. Right, thank you, Jesus. Raging seas.
Nothing is impossible. Yes, Lord. God, you're all that we need, Lord. Lord, you are our divine healer. Nothing is impossible with you, God. You are the God of the impossible. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you this morning. Those that are in front at the altar right now, God. Lord, let your love, let your assurance fill their hearts this morning. For those of us, the rest of all of us, God, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we will lift this place knowing that we can entrust everything in the palm of your hand. That, Lord, you take care of us. That you are sovereign through every season of our lives. Lord, we thank you for this morning's message, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and our loved ones now and always. Amen. Amen. Service is over. See you next week.